Welcome back to the Church in Your Head podcast, the podcast that helps you escape the church in your head or someone else's head. I'm your host, Brandon, and with me, my Scott, co-host. Scott, what's going on? Hey, we're back. Yeah, it's been a while, but happy to be back. Excited about what we're going to be talking about. Lots of stuff has happened since we uh, last spoke. Um, you, be, you, you sit your mind on Twitter for a while. You start to get lost in just all the, the craziness. A lot of debates have been happening a lot more. We've listed a few good ones that we should probably do reviews on later on. But it's uh, people yeah. are chatting, uh, chatting, chatting away. What yeah, is I know. I know, man. It's it's fun to engage with people, and if I've engaged with you and you've listened to our podcast, I hope you know that, you know, I'm, I'm I, I try to make sure I'm not doing it pridefully. I think that's the let's let's be honest, that's the temptation on Twitter, right? We can easily go on there to just want to be right. Um, I think oh, it's yeah. you know we all have to you know keep ourselves in check. Obviously, through the church gives us the disciplines of prayer, fasting, uh, giving. You know, so it's it's a regular. Uh, I guess it's. We encourage everybody to keep yourself in spiritual shape before you go on Twitter so you don't get yourself into a prideful scenario. And we all know what happens uh, with pride. It comes before the fall. So, Oh, yeah. It'll puff you up, even if you win in exchange, which we've done that before. And we've and I've lost some, too. But I've noticed, yeah, that the pride just, I mean, you, you, you exit out of your app and then you try to now reengage with your family and society. And you're like, oh, there's real human people on the couch next to me. And you're feeling like, like you're the man. And that... It doesn't help anybody. And, and at the end of the day, my wife doesn't care. She's like, you, you just sound like an idiot right now. Like, What what makes you feel so smart that you had this inner, inner, inner exchange on Twitter of someone you'll never probably meet? So I, it is a good reminder that when we do these things, we got to do them in humility. Expect to be wrong or go into the conversation willing to be wrong. I think that's something that, I don't, whether you like Jordan Peterson or not, that is something that I do value is you know, going into the conversation willing to be told something that you don't know from the opposing party that even you may disagree with, you know, you want to take in that because that's, that sets the foundation of a good conversation or ultimately you can start asking good questions, which is all that we do on this show. Uh, we're just simply asking questions. We're trying to use logic, reason, which God has gave us and then ultimately identifying the church by which we can see and review These things have been revealed in a way where we don't have to speculate. Um, and so I think today um, we'll get into a little bit more. We, if you followed us, you'll notice we talk a lot about various heresies um, from the ancient church and the medieval times. There's a lot of them out there, but there's some fundamental ones that have, have led to some interesting conclusions and ultimately have trickled its way into the modern day church. Um, one of them being Manichaeanism. The other one is Pelagianism. Um, I don't know where you want to start, Brandon, if you want to talk. You want to go Pelagius <laughs> first? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is is, is understanding that the, you have two ditches here, right? You have the Pelagian mindset, and then you have this Manichaean mindset. And we want to direct you away from these two ditches to the mind of the church. And so ultimately that's grounded in that, like we say, the conciliar mind of the church, and which is ultimately proper triadology, proper Christology. And as we covered on our last podcast, uh, synergy is... Uh, grounded in the proper Christology, uh, as we talked about last time, about how Christ uh, assumed our human nature, and our human nature has a uh, human will. So he had a uh, divine will and a human will, and those operate in synergy. The will doesn't overcome or or the, the, the human will doesn't get subsumed under the divine will. It is operating freely in synergy, synergizing with the divine will. So that's the, you know, the, the mindset we are pointing you to. 
but there was a couple mindsets that you might see in churches today, or say we are going to present to you that you'll see in churches today. And yeah, let's start with Pelagius, right? So Pelagius, uh, you know, his viewpoint of the fall and human nature was, you know, the fall really didn't affect our human nature. Um, so pretty much, uh, you know, man's problem is, is really, he just needs to be motivated. We're he has good a good nature. We're good. That, I said we're yeah. good people. I mean, he would say yes. that too. We're just, we're born good. I think he took it yeah. from the, you know, that God, and I get the logic, right? God created us in his image and likeness. And so with that, we couldn't be utterly morally depraved because therefore the likeness side of us um, would be also destroyed and, and as well as his image. So I get that part, but yeah, keep continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the nature doesn't really get affected by the fall. Uh, so it's ultimately what one needs to do is to commit your life to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you might have heard this at a, maybe a church you go to. Uh, you might hear at the end of the, the sermon that the pastor says, who wants to commit their life to Jesus? You know, we, we here at this church want people to be fully committed followers of Christ. And it's like, is that, well, that's not really bad. I mean, I think that's what we all want to strive for. Um, but, but in this case, um, the, the problem with this mindset is that ultimately it's not emphasizing grace, the necessity of grace. And the, 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 and, and the, the worst part about this is that you are doing your works in your strength. So who gets the glory in the end of the day? It's you. You can easily then become prideful. You can start thinking that you're better than other people because of your commitment. Um, you, you can also become very burnt out. Other people around you can be, be very burnt out because they're always wondering if they're committed enough and they're comparing themselves a lot. You can compare yourself to other people. Um, you, it can easily become a, a legalistic mindset, um, you know, where you've, you've, you've kind of made your own standards of your commitment level. And you're like, well, uh, you know, I don't watch those movies. Um, you know, I don't watch rated R movies or, uh, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of, you could easily establish your own righteousness. Cause this is the problem when we talk about doing your works. See, these are your works. If it's not by grace, if and it's not. A you yeah. talked about standard though without grace there is all that's left is a standard by which you come up with and exactly so, and in your mind you think that standard is good because and, and certainly the things that you're striving towards let's say somebody does want to abstain from watching a radar movies we would never say that's a bad thing we call those like personal legalism so those are things that every individual ought to have convictions um, and some people can handle things more than others but when you make that as a standardized or kind of a universal a way in which the, the ability to follow Christ ought to look like. And this is where we get the proliferation of, of these moralistic books, because that's exactly what they do. The person has figured out what that standardization ought to look like and makes it an is, right? Ought to an is. We've talked about that in past shows. You can't do that. But these books that are formulated where they are just producing you to become more morally sound and, and stronger moralistically. And, and what that does is it, it, at the end of the day, you're still following what somebody believes is a, what commitment looks like. 
Um, and then if you don't like that, then you find another teacher, uh, a moral teacher, um, what they believe commitment might look like. And it may get to the point where you just want to find someone who has the least amount of commitment level that it takes for you to be a follower of Christ. Because at the end of the day, we're always looking for ways in which we can indulge in our sinful ways and explore the world. And if we just have enough of, of the, the uh, commitment side, then that, that is justifiable. And I think that's when you say that's dangerous. That is dangerous because you're kind of thinking in your head, at least let's say probably for the first few months, if you're a new believer and you're attending a church like this, you might start to achieve the commitment level, whether the pastor says this is what commitment looks like. And then what does a fully dedicated, committed person look like? That really goes over your head because I don't know. Uh, And so you just all you have left is the sermon notes and the steps in which you can take for that particular sermon. But eventually you get to that point where you're no longer exceeding or meeting the expectations of what commitment looks like. So what, what does that lead to when you get to that stage? Yeah. I mean, you, you highlighted about the, the motivation factor looking for almost like you start either going to more books to try to figure out how to be more fully committed. Um, you, you, you become, you could become, you know, introspective in yourself of like, well, may, maybe I need better music. Uh, maybe I need a better preacher. Um, so you you know you might church hop uh, to try to get you know more motivation. Maybe there's a specific sin that you're you're struggling with that you just can't seem to kick. Um, so that yeah that I think that's that's ultimately what one kind of is left with is in this mindset where you're not really pointed to deifying grace. You're you're not you're you're kind of you're kind of left with your commitment and the and the sermon and the messages can be very psychological. They can be very, it's about, you know, the, the Bible can be presented as like, you know, kind of like a moralistic philosophy book of you look at this person in the Bible and you, we could commit our lives to, to how they did it, you know, see how they accomplished it, see how they did God's will. And the, the danger of this again, is that these are still your works and the church, you know, when we get outside of the church of somebody's head outside of the church, you know, constructed with somebody, you know, took the Bible and, okay, well, this is what Christianity really is. And now we're following them. Well, this is the ditch that they're leading you into. And when you go to the church that Christ established and you look at the conciliar mind of the church, they're directing you toward the grace of God. They're saying you need grace to do the will of God. You need deification. You lost uh, you know, we, we, we become deprived of grace at the fall, you know, so we, you need that grace again. And it's through the church that ultimately leads you to the sacraments. And, and that is ultimately God's way of restoring you to that grace, to be able to cooperate, to do his works. See, and that's the mindset you need to get out of because it's not about your works. It's about his works with his power. And, yeah. and, and that's really the contrast between these different mindsets of, you know, you keep going to try to find somebody to motivate you more to coming to the Eucharistic rail and receiving the body and blood of Christ to deify your human nature as Christ, when he assumed your human nature, deified it. And that human will freely, his human will freely cooperated with it. 
And it's, so been, it's, it's been lost and it's kind of sad because if you take two buckets, you know, when it comes to motivation, we see this a lot. And even in the modern day secular world around motivational speakers, the big infamous ones that have, you know, major celebrity endorsements and generate massive crowds to show up to these major arenas like in Vegas, et cetera. It, you know, there is a desire to be motivated by people who are inspiring. And I think that's just in our nature. We like that. We want to be motivated, pushed beyond our limits because that makes us feel like we have purpose. Um, and so that in and of itself, the desire for it is is not bad. But when we put that that one category of motivation with the influencers and pastors that are very good at motivating, it really is what they are. And then the other one is when we talk about the sacrament or sacramentology or and means by that is the means by which motivation happens. Because we, when we talk about when Christ assumed all of us, mind, body, will, so, right? He assumed the whole human nature. We also know that he assumed our will, which includes the motivation or the mode to will to do good and that which to do not good. And so the, the desire to be motivated, we're not demonizing that. So when we hear when you hear motivation, we're not saying that's bad. Just in the right context, what is the driver that motivate you? And we're saying historically, we can objectively tell you it's the sacraments. It's grace. We call it the means of grace that fuel you to do the good works in a synergistic manner, which we'll talk about towards the end. But when you abstract that and take that away, and then you just are left with Jesus as a, a person to follow and to be somebody that you look to as the perfect example, which all true statements, you yourself are now having to find a way to, to keep up with that perfect Christ. And how often, and if we're honest with ourselves, how well are we doing? We're going to fall short so many times. And where, where I get passionate about when we, you mentioned this is when you get to that stage where you're, you're no longer motivated anymore, you're demotivated. doesn't matter how popular the pastor is, how many books you've read, there gets to the point where you're tired of it. I know people have done this and they, they're, we call it burnt out, right? Church hurt. All of this stuff kind of comes from that and they leave. And we would say this objectively from the outside saying you were just looking to yourself and you're trying so freaking hard to to get to the example or to the level in which the pastor or the motivating preacher was trying to get you to be. And yes, you walk away inspired, but then once that, that, that feel goes away, then you're left to with, with nothing but despair because you realize I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. And this is where you start to see the proliferation of people leaving these, these churches that unfortunately gather and attract a lot of people. And I would say a lot of it has to do with these speakers are very good at motivating. These books that sell millions of dollars worth of copies, they're very motivating. Because going back to the secular example, those arenas sell out with, with well-known people who get you to get pushed beyond. We want to feel that because it gives us that energy. And I guess going into that, like desiring that energy that we get from that is, is a good, healthy desire. But Let's reiterate, where do we get those energies, right? Where do the energies come in when we talk about this? Well, yeah, I mean, it can easily, when you when you don't have Christ's deifying energies in the Eucharist, um, you ultimately have to have a substitute, right? So you you go to either uh, someone, you know, you you find this speaker who just motivates you to, to worship God more. Um, or, you know, as we see in, in youth uh, ministries, you see camps, right? Um, They'll go to these camps Don't and they that. will be, you know, get stirred up emotionally and they will recommit themselves to Christ. And what's so sad is that, you know, these churches diminish the Eucharist. They might uh, have a form of it, you know, in a little cracker and some juice, maybe once a month, but it's completely 
uh, not focused on as the means of grace. And it's sad for these kids because essentially they're taught this mindset of having to essentially chase the next thing that motivates them. Maybe the next quote unquote revival uh, that that can that can get them motivated again to serve Christ. Yeah, emotions. And, oh, right. Isn't it emotions driven? I mean, part of motivation. Oh, yeah. You got to feel it to be motivated. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's the thing of 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 being motivated by objective truth versus being motivated by just feelings, because there's a lot of cults that utilize feelings and emotionalism right. to get you to buy into their truth claim. And so the church grounds us in objective truth, um, ultimately in the mind of God, so we can cooperate with a sound mind um, to do his will and ultimately, too, to defend the faith. So it's like, you know, we're kind of operating on two fronts, right? We're we're, we're loving our Lord, um, you know, by loving others, people, and uh, and we're ultimately defending the truth, and which we find all of this in the church. Um, but when we get presented with these mindsets where that this is truth, well, we can easily discard it as, it, you know, people could just discard it as the being Christianity when it never really was, because this is a ditch that the that the church, the you know, the conciliar church mind of the church in in Ephesus, they condemned Pelagianism. Right. So I know there was also a local council that uh, condemned it as well. Uh, but uh, you know, ultimately, you know, you find this, this was dealt with Carthage, right? It but, was Carthage. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's like the church. This is the thing when we get outside of this idea of of you know what so and so you know says the church is, and we get back to the church outside of of their head. This is what we find. We find the truth. We find the healing, and we find the true motivation, yeah. and it's grounded in the mind of God through the church as as God reveals, you know, and clarifies the deposit of faith uh, through his church, through these councils, he he tells us and says, no, this is wrong. Pelagius, this is wrong. This is not the right mindset. You still need grace. You know, we can affirm that nature is good, um, but we have inherited a moral corruption. Right. And we are rebellious persons. Us, the persons are rebellious. It's not our nature. It's us. And apart from grace, um, we are not able to operate our nature uh, correctly. We are very, we can be very uh, a slave to our passions. Um, not that the passions are bad, but the devil is working 24-7 to energize our passions and for us to cooperate with them toward the evil. His own motivating ways, right? I mean, he's probably the most exactly. successful motivator of anyone. And he doesn't just do it himself. He uses other people. And these are what we yes. call wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They're going to come in and, and really appeal to the emotion, right? Really stick it to you or you just feel encouraged and inspired. And that these things are very much trapped because that's what Satan uses is, is he's deceptive in many ways. But yet we're not ignorant of his schemes. We know this, that we're in Christ. And hopefully those who are listening to us can see that there is some truth and validity behind that looking historically at, at the life of the church who gives us these means. So we are protected against those those devices and schismatics or, or the schemes that are, are brought by Satan and his demons, we can then be able to, to say no and withstand it. Going into the other ditch, speaking of like cults, 
you know, you have Manichaeanism, right? You have a guy named Manny, right? That was a huge cult because they, when I was reading about it, they, they're very much like, almost reminds me of like early days of Mormonism where um, they they all gathered together. You know, they had, you know, kind of their core team and everybody looked out for each other. Everybody funded each other through, through food and through obviously uh, monetary, monetarily speaking. And so it was like, you looked out for your own and you kind of grew as, as it, which ultimately been a cult cults. And, Manichaeanism was was formed in a way where it took the extreme of what Pelagianist is. So Pelagius said we we're 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 good in some regards. You know, we we can get into the conversation around semi-Pelagianism. That might be uh, another conversation. But Manny took the other extreme and said, "No, we're completely corrupted. In fact, we're utterly. We say you've heard the term utterly depraved. Um, that is where even Calvin took a lot of that. Um, I think even Saint Augustine one time was a Manichaean. So." Kind of mm-hmm. before we go down the path of it, I want it, it does show that it is intoxicating that these cults and what they do, they do, they do generate this like emotions driven, like we got you, we are a large, strong network of supporters. And so, someone like very credible, you know, saint that we'd all acknowledge as, as historically an important figure in, in Christian Christianity, you know, Augustine himself um, kind of started out in that. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately they got it got out. But I guess kind of let's go into the other ditch now um, and let's talk about what that looks like in modern day um, in terms of churches and, and going back to the motivation and the will and moralism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just looking at some of my notes for this and yeah, with Manny, I mean, Manichaeanism is, is kind of like Gnosticism. You know, the, the soul is of the light. Uh, there's like these eternal principles of light and darkness kind of, um, always uh, against each other in a dualistic mindset. You know, the, the soul is of the light, but body, uh, because it's material, is, is of the evil. The matter is, is, is evil, essentially. Um, so that pretty much, that mindset, and, you know, I encourage everyone to go and, and look at uh, the Manichaeanism, what they believe, but, but just for the sake of brevity and to kind of, kind of get it, dive into kind of the focus today on how the Manichaean dualistic mindset seeps into other churches. Uh, we covered Pelagius, and now I th- we can cover now the the dualistic mindset. Now, just to, like just to summarize again, the Manichaean mindset is the soul is of the light, but it's entangled in the physical matter, which is evil. So now we're going to go to over to the reformers side of things. We covered Pelagius, which would be maybe. T- say we're, we're painting with broad brush strokes here. So we're obviously we're going to offend some people because, Hey, you're, you're, you're trying to lump us all in one, but just bear with us. Okay. So, <laughs> so the Manichaean mindset of, of dualism, the reformers kind of picked up on this kind of, kind of branching off of Augustine's viewpoints. Uh, the, the mindset of the fall um, had so corrupted human nature uh, that, you know, Calvin used the term total depravity, right. um, you know, and uh, Luther brought out a, a, something called the bondage of the will. And so the, the, the mindset of the Manichaeans, now, now Calvinists and Lutherans will say, we don't, we're not Manichaean. What we're going to present today is the dualistic mindset, though, of having a viewpoint that you have a sinful nature versus the person or a body, soul, dualism. So uh, this just, so, so bear with us. So if ultimately for the reformers, the will 
as 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 the, the person or soul was so entangled in the in the sinful nature, the will could no longer move towards the good. Now, to define sin, sin is not a it doesn't have an ontological existence. Sin is simply a move of the will away from the good. But if the the soul is so entangled in this sinful nature, it cannot move toward the good at all. In fact, the will, every time one operates the will, ultimately it, you're always sinning because you're, you're essentially, you're always, you know, you're, you, you're trying to operate, you know, your nature, but it's, it, you can't help it. You're essentially in a state of sinning all the time. So because of that state, your will now has to be moved toward the good and you cannot move yourself. There's no moving. I want to pause here, Brad. Oh, yeah, so, you can clarify no, some more. No, well, no, that's good. And I want to stop there. When we talk about the assumption of the, the holistic of our nature, when Christ in the incarnation, there are people that believe that Christ didn't assume the will of man because the philosophy was we are always sinning. Christ can't assume a will that always sins. Therefore, there was like an almost like an exception. Like Christ just simply had a divine will, not a human will, right? So it kind of allowed him to kind of deviate around that concept which we would say um going back to i think what saint jerome said that which is an assume hasn't been healed christ historically we can show you that christ did assume even the will and if the will is always sinning that's where we have this kind of you know i guess conflicting messages or conflicting ways on how we explain this and so dualism what you're getting into was a response to many of the reformers that didn't believe crisis. And now some of them probably do, but most of them, especially Calvin didn't believe that the will was assumed by Christ uh, because total depravity. And that's what burned out of it. Um, so continue. But yeah, I just yeah, to- yeah. I mean, the, the Manathelite view is yeah, that, that the will, the Manathelites, um, which is another heresy, uh, believe that the will was constantly opposed to God. So there was kind of like this dialectical um, tension <laughs> always between the will of God and the will of man. And so that's the thing. So in, in this mindset, though, one is one is heavily emphasizing grace. That's the great thing about it, right? So with Pelagius, we're, we're, what they're emphasizing is human nature. Yes, it is good, but it still needs grace. The reformers, on the other hand, looking at the Pelagians could say, man, you guys are just, this is wrong. How, how could you deny the grace of God? It's so necessary because of the fall. And so we would emphasize, yeah, grace is necessary, but the problem is the mindset went to the other ditch, where now you present man as this, as if there is some sort of dualism between the person and the nature. And so the problem in the reformer's mindset essentially is the sinful nature. Your problem is that you, your nature is, 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 is sinful. And you cannot, you need the grace of God essentially to overcome that sinful nature. The God's will has to move on you to be able to basically overcome your rebellious will that's always opposed to God to be able for you to even move toward the good. And so uh, ultimately salvation rolls out to being God worked in you. Has God worked in you? yet. Uh, and, and 
and you might hear this in some of like, um, you know, the reformed, um, Baptists, someone that I used to listen to, um, you know, when I was actually, it was really interesting. I was coming out of the Pelagius mindset. I was actually, when I listened to this person, uh, Paul Washer, um, I was, I had the Pelagian mindset that, you know, I was very big into decision theology and committing your life to Christ. And then I heard Paul Washer and I thought, wow, yes, it's all about the grace of God. This is so amazing. It should just be all about, you know, God working in a sinner. Yeah. (laughs) Sinner. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul Washer is definitely a character, Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that mindset though, I ended up going to this other ditch where ultimately, you know, I was basically saying some stuff along the lines of people who didn't have uh, any bearing any fruit, according to my uh, evaluation of their lives, basically telling them that they were never saved. So this is the danger of this, of the mindset of a dualistic mindset is that you need to either, there's, there's an introspection that when you, um, you know, basically are you doing, has God worked in you and you have to answer that question. Well, yeah, this this burns out like evidence-based theology, right? So now you're looking at like, you have to look inwardly and both sides ultimately put the emphasis back on you. So if you want to know what's the highest like understanding of a heresy, if it points back to you, that's a good start. All right. Okay. You can start from there, but Mm -hmm. getting into the the, the nuances of it. Yeah. A lot of it stems from evidence-based, you know, I wouldn't say theology, but like evidence-based salvation. There's certain like well-known figures and pastors that I, I won't say names of that you can just go to the back of their Bible and there will be a list of how do you know I'm saved? And so this ultimately relies on, you're kind of like, you know, when it, when we talked about like, there's no more synergy and it's just God overtaking your will. You know, you had nothing to do with your salvation. You're kind of, you know, we call that the, um, what is it? The, the I'm trying to remember the, my tulips again, the, the um, irresistible grace. Irre- thank you. Thank you. So yep. the, God comes at you. You're not, you're good. Just walking away. You're walking right into hell. He grabs you, turns you around and and takes you. And we know that we've learned that that's like classic reformed theology. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even in the life of Christ, then it becomes the same thing. You start to get the the sense of you have to wait for God to do something in you. So you're no longer emotions driven. You're, you're evidence driven. And again, where that ditch falls into some very scary ways is how do you know you're doing and how i guess what is the standard we talked about the standardization over on the other ditch this one is how do you know what the standard is on terms of the the evidence of you being a christian i can say this um that i when i was in this um mindset i remember going to uh, my local community college and my brother can attest if my brother's listening to this he'll he'll understand this uh we would go there and we would do this like testing of your faith how do you know if you're a christian and we would go through the list of like, you know, we had our go-to questions and basically what it was revealing is, um, are you showing evidence of you being a Christian? Did God actually, ha- has he presented himself in which you can, you can agree that, yes, I have this evidence. This is, this is showing, it's different from fruit. Fruit is completely different. This is purely evidential. And I think that's where it led to this, like what we say, I know we mentioned Paul Washer and what can be kind of scary is you kind of have to wait and rely that God has, has showing and revealing himself through some kind of manifestation of a powerful like experience, you know, where it's, you're kind of waiting on him because there's no synergy. All you do is sin. So anything you do, you know, what was the, I forgot who said it. Like when you get to heaven, when God says good faithful servant, you know, he's not talking to you, he's talking to Christ. 
basically that that mindset is like you had nothing to do with it you were literally just a, a script in a movie and you were written out for either damnation or salvation and hope to make it to the end because then at the end you say yeah god i got the end of the script show that i made it and i know that my director christ is the one who ultimately allowed me to get in here there's no cooperation which is very antithetical to what we've been talking about through all of these shows um, synergistically. Now, I do believe some reformers, uh, Lutherans, and even some good uh, classical reformers would 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 attest to that synergy is important. And they would do the means of grace and sacraments to be able to drive synergy because they're very much as a cooperation. But when you take that away, then you, you have nothing but yourself to rely on some kind of like, again, evidence, uh, experiential, um, you know, you sit there and you wait to see if you start to get scared or cry or some, something happens. Something's got to be tangible. Or you read the back of the book of that Bible and you start ch- you know, checking every day. How am I doing here? How am I doing here? So it's, again, it's a different motivation. I think that motivation is even a little scarier because that's a bit more uncertain than at least the other ditch is you can find a plethora of ways to be motivated. <laughs> you have yeah. hundreds of thousands of books in different ways. This ditch, you kind of have one way and it's God better freaking open himself up to you and you better see it to know that I'm saved because there's no other way outside of that to have any certitude in my salvation. And then you did bring up, uh, you know, this does stem from Augustine in the fall. I mean, utter, utter depravity or total depravity just basically says that we not only inherited the sinful nature, but we inherited the guilt. And so essentially we're guilty of the sin as much as we are seeing the effects of it. And this could be another good show about the difference between, you know, really where Augustine erred and how it isn't just the, the, the guilt of it. And it's really more the effects of sin. There's some good analogies to explain around that, but for another mm-hmm. show. But it does, it does seep its way into that, that mindset that if, if you're utterly depraved, that you not only inherit the guilt of sinning, even as a baby, even though you haven't sinned yet, you would essentially be guilty of that because of Adam and you're experiencing the effects of it. Then you're led to this, this notion of where Manichaeanism or Manny took that same philosophy where you had to find some kind of like um, overtaking in this, this like you got to tangibly see. Um, if things are actually like attributing towards your salvation, because it's an ongoing thing. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned the back of your Bible. I'm thinking about the John MacArthur study Bible, uh, who tells like the five ways, you know, you're saved. Johnny Mac. uh, That's (laughs) yeah. That's the, that's the problem is the, the the mindset though is, is very introspection and you can easily convince yourself um, that maybe you're not of the elect uh, by looking at your life and seeing, Oh, well maybe God's not working in me. Or uh, you might not be believing uh, the doctrine of faith alone correctly. So yeah. that's another one where maybe you're not believing it right. Or knowing uh, it. Or, or knowing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, and that's, so you, so you kind of, you have these two ditches, right? Where if you look at that verse, I believe it's in Galatians, where faith is working through love. Well, you can look at these two mi- different mindsets and go, okay, well, faith working through love. What does that look like in a Pelagian? Well, who's working? You are. You're working, and hopefully you're working hard enough. Um, in the Manichaean mindset, faith working through love, well, who's working there? Well, it's, it's ultimately God's working. God alone, um, yeah. Yeah, and when and then that's the question is, is, is God working in you? That's the biggest question. And now when we go back to the mind of the church, though, when we go back to the synergy, when we base all of our, when everything flows from triadology, Christology, and then to proper anthropology, we see that grace is needed. Um, your problem is not your nature. Your problem is you, the person. Uh, 
um, you need to repent. And so when God comes to you with his gospel, uh, it, you know, you can harden your heart. Your, 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 your natural human willing, your, your natural energy, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't get overtaken when God comes to you with his gospel through his church. Um, you, you still can freely say, I'm no, I don't want it. You know, that's the Bible tells you, if you hear his voice do not harden your heart, it's putting it on you, the person. And so, but when we, cho- when we choose to repent, then it's God who gives us the grace, um, to be able to cooperate with him, right? He leads us to baptism. Then he leads us to ultimately his church where we become again, you know, we, get deified in the Eucharist. Nature becomes deified. You know, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So you see that it's in the, in the proper mindset, it's the problem is not motivation. The problem is not your sinful nature. The problem is you. And when you turn away from your sins and God gives you, obviously then God gives you his grace to be able to follow him, to do his will, um, then it is obviously it is all grace. Everything we're doing, we are cooperating with Him to do His will. Um, it's faith working through love, and when faith is working through love, who's working? It's one hundred percent you working and one hundred percent God. So when you see that verse now, see the church puts it in its right mindset. You don't have to be like you know fumbling around and going, oh well, I got my Arminian verses here for my Pelagian mindset, and I got my Calvinist verses here for my Manichaean mindset. You don't need to do that because once you have the proper Christology uh, from the church, then all of these verses, they all make sense now. You know, James doesn't have to be pitted against Paul because we understand now, oh, it's 100% me and and 100% God. So it's like, and and I have, I'm not confusing nature and person anymore. And I I basically, you know, and I know we talked last week um a little bit about um i don't know if we, we mentioned the iron man suit but i think that's a good analogy again to kind of explain you know the idea of grace and how it's 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 you know when god gives us the grace it's kind of like the iron man suit you know when we think about the the little arc reactor or whatever in his chest i mean that's all grace everything you know tony stark would be doing or we would be doing in christ it's all his power but it's still our will is not being overthrown or subdued or we're sitting in the back seat or he's not operating the whole Iron Man suit while we're in it. It's like, we're still operating in it, but it's all his power. So it's like, if we see it through that mindset, then we, we can avoid these ditches. We know at the end of the day, what we did in Christ, we did his works. And what we didn't do in Christ, if we chose to reject him and cooperate with the devil, well, yeah, those were, that's our sin. That's us, the person. We don't say, oh man, my, my nature, it just, it's just, it just keeps making me sin. No, you chose to cooperate with that evil. You, yeah, your nature has yeah. the passions that are ignited. The nature has yeah. its passions. And the, again, we said this too many times, desires aren't bad. They're all given from God. But you chose that, that passion that, for that desire to be um, used and misused, if you will, you are the you we've all been in those situations where we, we see the passions and they they come in different forms and they're they're elevated they're amplified they're, they're ignited illuminated is what the church fathers would say and you would you would have an option as to do you choose to take that desire where these passions are stirred up and for you to do something that is willing or you're willing to do the things that are contrary to what would be good um, that way that god intended for that desire to always be so the desire isn't sinful uh, your nature, you can't treat it as if it's a separate person. So it's not like Scott versus Scott 
or Scott versus we hear it sometimes the old Adam. And you're kind of in this dialectical tension where you're fighting each other. And then we often go to Romans 7, which I think we should unpack sometime to talk about that. But we, we kind of treat those verses and say, oh, see, this is this is me versus me. <laughs> and which one's going to win? I hope the good me, the, the, the saved me or the regenerated me beats the old Adam me, right? And then you're just constantly at war with each other. And in reality, it comes down to that you... Ultimately, there's a we say nature person distinction. That is a, a historical like you know, part of the church and way it kind of broke down Christologically, you know, with Christ, divine person in nature. Right. This, these are all important things. These aren't just something that we're coming up with. And this also applies to us that we all have a nature and we are all people individually and collectively. And so when you sin, it's you are the ones that are choosing we use the analogy of driving the wheel and speeding. It's not the car's fault. The car was a means by which it got ignited. Maybe the car was tempted, you know, because there was another street that seemed like it'd be fun to go down and go really fast. But at the end of the day, it's up to you and whether or not you hit your blinker and then pedal to the metal. And then if you get pulled over, cop's not going to get give, give the car a ticket, right? Or you can't blame mm -hmm. the car. So we have to remind ourselves of that. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the nature. It's like your nature, I mean, it has bodily desires. Uh, you know, like the, the sexual desire is not evil. Um, you, the person can be motivated. And, and obviously the devil is constantly trying to make those desires inordinate wrong desires and fulfill those in the wrong way. Um, you know, a desire to eat. It's not bad. Um, getting angry. Um, we can get angry about things, uh, you know, the injustices in the world. Um, but we got to be careful because we can ultimately let that lead to wrath. So we have to be, um, you know, very vigilant and guarding and on, on guard, we the persons. Um, so we operate our nature um, to do the will of God. And obviously this is all, all by his grace and strength. The church gives us um, the essentially prescription uh, per se to be able to, uh, to cooperate and to do his will and keep um, our passions in check. Um, we have to emphasize the passions are not bad, Yeah, but it's us. And obviously the world is constantly coming at us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We're constantly being assaulted and we need the church. It's not about going to the church in somebody's head or my head or Scott's head. We're pointing you outside of us because that's where the remedies are to be able to cooperate with God, to do his will by his grace. And that's it. We try to make this as simple as possible because it really doesn't have to be complicated. Um, you know, we, you know, this it's it's all by grace and it's 100% God, 100% us. And when we can say 100% us, because like I said, we retain our natural human energy, our natural human will. We don't lose that at the fall. You know, our nature still remains our nature. It doesn't change. Um, and like I said, our issue is not our nature. It's moral. We, the persons, are rebellious. If you look at Romans 1, you'll see that man suppresses the truth you know, through choosing to do wicked deeds. Now read that very slowly and just look at that. Man's problem is not his nature. It's because he's rebellious and he suppresses the truth. He cooperates with the devil. And every day we're choosing, we're going to cooperate with the devil or am I going to cooperate with God? And it's you, the person, it's not your nature. And once you have that, I tell you, it is awesome. <laughs> when when Scott it, got it, it yeah. was like, wow. Good. What do you say about the, the common objection of, of, I think it's in Ephesians, we are by nature children of wrath. I'm sure people that are listening to this instantly, that verse pops up. Well, no, you're wrong, Brandon. Our nature is bad. He says it right here. By nature, we are children of wrath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, uh, let me, 
let me pull that up. I'm, I'm, I think uh, it's good to emphasize when you read that, you know, take it and, and read it kind of slowly and look at it where it talks about the persons, keep in mind, the persons who are cooperating with the devil, the language there, don't forget that language. Um, because as we cooperate with the devil, I mean, you look at scripture, the Pharisees were told that you are of your father, the devil, and the works of him you want to do. So it's what makes us children of the devil is cooperating with the devil to do his will. So when you look at by nature, um, well, yeah, if we cooperate with the devil um, by nature, we will be uh, children of wrath. Uh, we will basically have the target that's painted, you know, put on the devil. We will be standing in that same circle if we continue to, to cooperate with him. And I think uh, that's the, if you look at another verse, I believe, that, is it Ephesians? where it says that the devil is working in the children of disobedience. Now, yeah. if you look at that, I, I don't know if you want to check that out for me just to make sure, I think it's Ephesians 2, where it says that he's working in the children of disobedience. Now, there's another verse in the Bible where it's in Philippians 2, where Philippians 2.12, where it says God is working in you. So if you go to Philippians 2.12, and then you look at Ephesians 2, compare those. When God is working in you, or the devil is working in you, is he taking you over? Is the devil taking you over? Or is he simply working in you to energize your passions so that you cooperate with him? And with God, is God working in you by taking you over, overcoming your will? Or is he energizing your human nature to be able to cooperate with him? I, I encourage everyone to compare those verses. It's Colossians 3 is the other one. For is children. it Colossians? Sons of disobedience, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because... Um, because if you look at those two and compare, you know, the idea of the devil working in someone and God working in someone, I wouldn't say we would we would believe that everyone is possessed by the devil. Um, right. And when it says the devil is working in you. Um, well, obviously, if he's working in you and, and, and energizing your passions to do his evil, to do to do his works, um, then you are a slave to him. You're a slave to demons. And it's Christ came to break the power of sin and overcome the devil. So I would say that uh, you're not, you know, by nature, you follow after you cooperate with the devil. Then, yes, you by by nature, you're a ch child of the devil and you will um, experience the, the wrath to come. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's that's the best one. I encourage everyone to look at those verses, though, and compare them because I think it's it's good to, could, could, to use logic and see like when I says when he says, is he working in you? It, whether it's God or the devil, does that mean he's possessing you? Because then he would overthrow your will or, you know, like I think Luther said, um, we're, we're like an, an ass that's either yeah. ridden by uh, God or the devil. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. We can, I think that's warrants a good chat on that later. Um, that is a, um, that and Romans seven are important. I think these are things that we're just trying to do in the light of, 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 proper Christology um, and anthropology, apology, which ultimately starts with triadology. And so the, these are where we get these ideas of nature and person. Again, these aren't just something that philosophers did. Um, Aristotle toyed around with this, Plato did. Um, and this is where we get things around transcendentals, et cetera. But really it started with the, the councils. We always point back to the ecumenical councils. This is where they solve what was heretical or at least presented as an argument that ultimately later on was deemed heretical. And you go look at these things and you realize, okay, I see that this is what they, you go look at the canons of all of these councils. This is where they say, this is what we believe now. 
This is why we have the Nicene Creed. It's been formulated and, and perfected over time. And we have to believe it to be infallibly true as a statement of what Christianity is and who Christ is. And if we don't believe that, then there is room for error. If we say that they were open to error and there is no certitude anymore. I know we're going way long, but I think this is good. Um, yeah. To summarize, I mean, the ultimate motivation and, and the will, right? We all want a will to do the good, to follow Christ, but you're not going to do it through books or a motivational pastor. Uh, it just won't work. Um, some people could try and say, no, I've been fine. I'll stay at these churches. Okay, great. Uh, the other ditch is it's not about evidence. You're going to wait and wait and wait. And if you find the right amount of evidence to prove that you're a Christian, uh, and some might say, I found it. Okay, great. And then, you know, that's going to work for you. But really this, this provides a, a very uncertain uncertainty around when Satan comes in as the beast of uncertainty comes and brings forth when you do sin and you realize I shouldn't have done that. And then Satan's right there to remind you, why did you do that? No Christian would ever do what you just did. That's where you become in trouble on both ditches. And so where do we get the means where it no longer relies on subjectivity? It doesn't rely on emotions. It doesn't rely on some type of a motivational speaker. It relies solely in the body and blood of Christ. This is where the deification of the Eucharist becomes the, the, the linchpin of what the church was centered around was the Eucharist. This is why if it's, if it's abstracted and it's just a symbolic thing, then we're missing out. And, and I would say, I would caution you, you're missing out on something that can energize you for good to work with God, um, with 100% you, 100% God. If you take that away, then you're left with just you or you're left with the 50-50, which is then becoming works righteousness. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and, well, and just to add the last, uh, it, the, that verse, yeah, it was what, Ephesians 2, uh, verse two about is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then Philippians uh, two twelve about wow. God working in you. So I encourage you to look at those uh, yourself and yeah, ultimately, you know, we find our certainty uh, that we're Christians in the life of the church outside of us, the objective church that Christ established. When the priest says your sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. You're baptized You've been baptized objectively. You know you're part of the church. You don't need to question if Christ really died for you. The church, uh, you know, squashed that idea um, that uh, ultimately only a few, you know, only certain people were were um, elected. So we'll 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 uh, cover that one. I think another episode would be good to cover predestination because there is a type of predestination, but honestly, it's not what uh, many people think when you interpret it in light of the nature person distinction. So we should do one on that. I think that'd be really good. Well, this is good, man. Until uh, next time. Thanks. And please follow us on uh, the, it's uh, what is it? Uh, objective underscore truth, or just look up church in your head on Twitter and, and please dialogue with us. Um, we really appreciate it. We're learning. And again, we want to stay humble and, and be willing to be told we're wrong. Um, this is not a debate forum. This is more of just, we just want to ask a question. So we encourage you to ask a questions. And so eventually we'll start bringing people onto the show, but in the meantime, engage with us, uh, on Twitter and, and, you know, challenge us or encourage us and we'll, we'll try to do the same and, and hopefully we can uh, all be edified by this. So, uh, yeah, until next time. Yep. Thank you.